Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am ready and happy, happy birthday, birthday, Christine. All right, so let's go to New York City. Here, here we are. Wow, we were all there a week ago. So good. Okay, this week we are watching Paris is Burning, a documentary that chronicles the New York drag scene in the 1980s, focusing on balls, voguing, and the ambitious dreams of those who gave the era its warmth and vitality. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Paris is Burning, it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival September 13th, 1990. The particulars, it's produced and directed by Jenny Livingston, who was a consulting producer on seasons one and two of X FX's Pose. She also directed an episode, and she also did the short films Hot Heads and Who's on Top. Nerd alert, she's the niece of... Alan J. Pakula, who produced, uh, well, he did a tie to Kill a Mockingbird. I don't remember if he directed that or if he produced it. And All the President's Men and Clute. Oh, I remember his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's interesting that she did, had something to do with Pose, because I've been watching Pose, and as soon as we turned, as soon as this ended... I turned on Pose, and I'm still on season one, and I was like, oh, my God. It's like, yeah. just like, it's, they definitely took inspiration from it. Mm -hmm. oh, so excellent. much. The director of photography was Paul Gibson, who did Soul in the, Soul in the Hole and The Execution Protocol and, and so many other documentaries. Editor is Jonathan Oppenheim, who also did Blowing Up, The Oath, William and the Windmill, Nerd Alert. He's the son of actress Judy Holliday, who was in a film I'm sure we're going to do at some point called Born Yesterday. Yeah. Okay. It's a classic film. I always, whenever I see Holiday, I get, I think Jennifer. of Jennifer Holiday, yeah. and I was like, wait, what? And then I saw a picture of him, and I'm like, that does not, I mean, maybe That's he's adopted. True. And then I'm like, oh, Judy Holiday. I and see. then there's always Billy Holiday. Right. Mix up in the mix. Right. Just throwing it in there. Starring Dorian Corey. She was born in Buffalo, New York, and studied at the Parsons School of Design, which is a really big deal because here's just a few like people who have gone there. Maybe you've heard of them. Donna Karen, Tom Ford, and Mark Jacobs, to name mm. a few. Wow. So not too shabby. And it kind of makes sense when you consider how she was a master, master yeah, I guess a master seamstress. Seam, that um, I would say seam person. Okay. A master person at making clothes. Master, <laughs> master sewer. Yes. Um, she also appeared in the documentary Woodstock and is founder of the House of Corey. Pepper LaBeja was head of the House of LaBeja, also appeared in the documentary How Do I Look. Octavia St. Laurent, who was in also in How Do I Look, and the Saint of Fort Washington, 
Willie Ninja, who was also in How Do I Look? At which point I had to look up yeah. what is <laughs> How Do I Look? And that is a 2006 documentary directed by Wolfgang Busch. And it is in some ways uh, a bit of a sequel in I many respects. I wondered if there was a Did sequel. you watch it? I didn't because I, I didn't. found out about it only yesterday in doing my homework. Mm. But I am very interested in seeing it. Uh, Willie Ninja is considered the godfather of voguing. Though he didn't create it, he did refine it, and he was famous for his sharp and clean movements. I mean, yeah, he yeah. does it the best. Um, and Venus Extravaganza, who sadly, this is her, uh, what she's best known for because her body was found Christmas Day in 1988, and that was during the course of like i think the end of the filming of this documentary and that case was never solved because yeah i mean well, well the brutes you know us we'll get into it we'll get into the whys okay so setting the table i found a um overview of the movie that i am going to share instead of I tried to overview it, and this does a better job. So uh, I took this from somebody. Don't know who wrote it. <laughs> but I'm giving credit to whoever wrote it. This... We won't be sued by our loyal 15. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if one of our 15 actually wrote this? I wrote that. How dare you? This landmark documentary provides... Let us know life... if you wrote it, and we'll give you credit. Yes, Disclaimer. exactly. Yes, um, I didn't, so there you go. Um, provides a vibrant snapshot of the 1980s through the eyes of the New York City's African-American and Latinx Harlem drag ball scene. This documentary spans seven years. We are introduced to the rival fashion houses from the fierce contests for trophies to the house mothers who offer sustenance in a world rampant with homophobia, transphobia, racism, AIDS, and poverty. We meet legendary voguers, drag queens, and trans women. Paris is Burning brings the celebration of movement, force, and eloquence, and the draw of community. So whoever wrote that, well done. <laughs> Kudos, kudos, mad kudos. proppers, mad proppers. So we are to our POC. So the, the uh, people of color, I didn't do a pe people no. of color. We this couldn't. Is it, pretty there much... were, right. This was about the African-American Latinx. And Harlem I think there scene. was, I think there was two or three people of European descent. Maybe. I mean, the uh, filmmaker, Jenny. Lines. Yeah. Jenny Livingston. She is. Uh, she's a white Jewish, uh, the white Jewish gender non-conforming individual. Okay. And we had, who was, um, the head of, uh, one of the modeling. Oh yeah. One of the talking heads. Okay. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah. other than that, there were people, but, but not, um, focused on this. On, in this film. Right. Which brings us to the power of cast, which, yeah. I mean, right off the, the jump. The whole thing is from power the of cast. 
I mean, from the get-go, you wouldn't have ballroom culture if it wasn't right. for cast. Right. Um, but you know me. So I have a I have a couple of power of cast because like there's so much in this movie to unpack yes. and look at. Um unfettered capitalism. Yes. I think is interesting. Uh, because in return, in, because in the ability to make money selling whatever goods and services you have, like that's capitalism. That's what America is, is really just put its flag in. There are a lot of people who don't want any sort of regulation whatsoever on capital on on capitalism, except when it comes to if the service is selling your body, and especially if your own body is feminine of color and poor. Then people have a real big problem with it because I mean, and that's one of the reasons like with Venus extravaganza that people didn't investigate her death because she, um, she did sex work to supplement her income to survive not not supplement her income to survive to survive because yeah. these no no one was living a middle class life even right no one at all and so people are just like oh well somebody um I, I, uh, john is what they say like apologies if that's the in- incorrect term but probably found out that her um that she wasn't born a woman. Right. I, that it, her body w- was different from right. what, and then, how she portrayed herself. And then he thought that he could just, he got angry and thought that he could just take a life. And But we have no idea even if that's, that's just what we it assumed because of her life. And so I, I think we talked about it also in Clute, as far as um, right. sex work and how it just it, it's just one of those things that boggles my mind about how we can be so like, hey, anything you can sell, make hustle, make money, anything. But it's when it comes to women. Um, no, you can't <laughs> like you. You were already born with this one thing that the opposite gender wants, you know, that men, you know, you're a woman. You always have one thing in your pocket that you can, if you need to, use to survive. And people, like, just legislate that when everything else, you can sell anything else and nobody has a problem with it. Like, we sell bottled water, you know? But when it's your own body and stuff, then it's like, nope, you're going to jail. You can't do that. You can't make money doing that. How dare you? And then, I don't know if she does, but somebody makes the point... I think it is Venus Extravaganza makes the point about how is what I'm doing any different from what a housewife does. Oh, yeah, she a did. a new washer or a ring or a bag or something like that, yeah. you know? Exactly. Um, okay. Also, I thought that this was very interesting. This was said by Dorian Corey. And... I really like the way I recommend watching this movie, of course, but I really like the way that she her facial expressions and how she says this because there's such uh, kind of like pain and in realizing like when she realizes, oh, that's really messed up. 
And that is the quote, nobody wanted to look like Lena Horne, who I would like yeah. to just parenthetically add. Lena Horne herself um, had very European adjacent features, let's just yes. say, you know, yes. like pretty much the thing about Lena Horne that was identifiable as being black was her skin. Right. Um, you know, she had, you know, more of a narrow nose and, and th that kind of features that like that made it more palpable to the public. But she said nobody wanted to look like Lena Horne. They all wanted to look like Marilyn Monroe. And I like the way that she said it because you can just see her processing that of how she even felt that way. And then in the age, in hindsight, looking back and being like, man, that's fucked up, you know? Um, she was, she, she had been living this life for a while. She was an older woman. Yes. 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 And so Bell Hooks, who is a famous, um, feminist essayist she wrote a very famous essay that i wrote called is paris burning and um she had very interesting ideas on this she wasn't a fan of this movie and i when you're reading the essay you kind of get to the part at the end where i kind of wonder like i understand where she's coming from with her points that she's making but when it gets to the end of the essay you kind of find out that her experience of viewing the movie was she was viewing it and she viewed it with a bunch of uh, a big screening and there was like a lot of white people there and they were laughing at inappropriate times. And uh. so she's kind of, you can kind of then see like, oh, I see how, how somebody sees something and being around those people, how she could kind of then um, really come with like the points that she makes it's an interesting read. You can find it on the internet, but I, she came up with the point of the idea of realness is based on looking like the idealized version of a woman. That is really a sexist ideal idealization of white womanhood. And that's right. what Dorian was saying about right. how we don't want to look like Lena Horne because also they didn't want to look like Lena Horne because Le it wasn't like Lena Horne was as big as Marilyn Monroe. No. Like they wanted to be big and huge and they, they even knew like, oh, she was, um, you know, discriminated against and stuff. We want to be beyond that. And Venus says that she wanted to be a rich white woman because they get whatever they want. <laughs> and, you know, true. It's true. It's true. But then it's also false because, you know, class comes into it and stuff. Right. But compared to her position and what she's seeing, then it does make sense. And, um, you know, the ability. So it's just interesting because then balls. So then I think that that was interesting because it kind of goes into the capitalism because when Dorian was first talking about it, the balls were all about making your own clothing. Exactly. Yeah. And you had to be a seamstress. And then by the time that they're making this movie and this documentary, she's already seen the change of, and this is what, you know, the young, cause Venus is younger. What Venus's generation is talking about is like all that nice shit. I want it because that's what the white women get. And I thought that it was interesting because they, how you get told, like you were, they were make Dorian's like her class was making things and showing by hand. Like I get to make this, 
Whereas Venus is was, oh, I see that in Bergdorf's. I want that because that's exactly. what the wealthy people have. And so I want to feel like them. And who are the wealthy people? That's that's white people. So it, it was like an interesting I was like, oh man, that's completely cast. Um then this quote from the director, or no, this was from Bell Hooks. Quote, within the world of the black gay drag ball culture, she, the director, Jenny Livingston, depicts the idea of woman womanness and femininity as totally personified by whiteness. And I kind of like I saw that with the the realness and the being mm-hmm. the executive and stuff. Um, and then Pepper LaBeja says, this is white America. Any other nationality that is not of the white set knows this and accepts this till the day they die. That is everybody's dream and ambition as a minority to live and look as well as a white person. It is pictured as being in America. Every media you have from TV, magazines to movies to film. And I mean, that's what this segment is about, how we're going into his classic movies of America and pointing it out. Like, this is what it means. This is what we're being sold is American. Exactly. And it's mm-hmm. whiteness. And I'm just like, ah, oh. that's the thing about this movie that I, I, I really enjoy this movie because of how effervescent and people doing their own thing, despite what society is telling them. But there's also this undercurrent of complete sadness about yes. the AIDS epidemic, yeah. poverty, and this this aspiration of 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 this one thing because that's the thing that they're shown and it's whiteness and it doesn't. That's why diversity matters because it it isn't that that's the one thing that's the gold standard. There are different gold standards, you know. That's why you don't have to straighten your hair if your hair is curly. You can if you want to, but that shouldn't, you shouldn't have to feel that way to blend right. in, to right. be real. So those were my power of cast. Christine, did you have power of cast? I have one. Um, I read an article um, on Vanity Fair about uh, the complicated of Paris is burning since the making of it. Um, like you mentioned that, uh, what's the director's first name? Jenny? Jenny, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Livin- Livingston. So she's a white filmmaker, obviously with relative financial and social privilege and a complete outsider to ball culture. So I think, you know, there's a lot of like, the article talks about like it was this did she make is this a film for white people and like you mentioned like who was it that watched the movie bell hooks yeah when a room of like other white people um so i think i mean then that's a complicated question obviously because like i think it's important that you know for everyone to see it's an important film for people to see but it is like okay who was it made for um which Jenny Livingston did say, her last name's Livingston, right? I didn't just write that down. Yeah. Um, She did say, like, if you say, like, that's a projection, that's not a truth. Um, So, and I I mean, but 
I think that that's part of the thing with the whole film is it's complicated in parts of it. Um, but what I didn't know is that like the movie made, I think $4 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Pepper Labasia said, that, I love the movie. I watch it more than often. And I don't agree that it exploits us. But I feel betrayed. When Jenny first came to us, we were at a ball in our fantasy and she threw papers at us. We didn't read them because we wanted the attention. We loved being filmed. Later, when she did the interview, she gave us a couple of hundred dollars. But she told us that when the film came out, we would be all right. There would be more coming. And the film went on to make $4 million, according to Miramax. Um, So the featured performers and the distributor were... Um, arguing about compensation and in the end about $55,000 was divided among 13 performers based on screen time. Um, so I didn't know that that no. had happened. I didn't know that all. either but it's there gets to be it's very complicated because on one hand yeah yeah on documentaries, a lot of times, I mean, most of the time, documentary subjects aren't paid for their work. And right. you get a release, which is what she had them sign. Um, I it is. I like the point that Pepper makes because they're at a ball and the whole thing of ball was that they wanted attention and everything. Right. So somebody coming in and signing these releases, of course, they're not going to read it. And you know, the the position that they're in, it's not like they have entertainment lawyers on retainer to review oh, such God. things. So it's very well, interesting. Yeah. Go on. Well, then you have um, film finance and how much money a movie did make and who gets to keep that money. Because since a movie, this movie made $3 million. I don't know all the finances from it. But generally, the film, it's not like Jenny Lewis or Jenny Lewis, Jenny Livingston made $3 million. Like, you know, she signed a deal with the distributor, which is Merrimax in the early 90s. Read into that whatever you Mm -hmm. want, because you know who was in charge of Merrimax um, at that time, because he founded the company. And it's Hollywood is synonymous and famous for the creative loops that, the distributors and studios that release a film will go in and say it's the same way with like record, how you hear the, the stories about like mm. record uh, companies and stuff, how they're like, well, I sold this many. How am I only getting this much? And then they go through all these weird accounting things because they have. And but some of it is true. Like they did have to pay for advertising and probably the prints because it's filmed the distribution, the, print, the mm-hmm. distribution, like all of that stuff. So that cuts into the, uh, how much a movie makes and stuff. But at the same time, it is people coming to these people who they don't have really have much at all. And somebody made a whole bunch of money off of them, right. which right. compound that with what I'm sure we'll get into later. Yeah. Ogin, so, I mean, yeah. And so she, she said, I was trying to, I wasn't trying to make a film about pe- people doing something in private or in secret. I was making a film about people who have really loud, really raucous events. I mean, they were, 
she said it was more like people, they know they have a lot to give. I know they're talented. They know they're beautiful. They know their culture is an extraordinary expression. I was just someone coming along and saying, I'd like to tell that story. Are you interested? And most people were. Um, and she did say, she was like, I don't think it was made for white people. The sense that this production was by white people for white people. That's not historical. That's a projection rather than the truth. Um, you have to see, uh, sorry. Oh, but she, she also pointed out like there are tons of other people at those balls with cameras recording. Yeah. It's just like whether or not they wanted to make, a film or a home movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did admit that her whiteness helped her get her film made. Um, and she said, I'm sorry, Tommy's over here having like the biggest puppy dream. And <laughs> so she, okay. So the conversation about who profited from Paris wrestles directly with her relative privilege. Um, but she said, when you look at class in America, middle-class people tend to stay middle-class, working-class people tend to stay working-class, underclass people tend to stay underclass, and rich people tend to stay rich. That was not a condition that Paris is burning created. In other words, she didn't get rich out the movie, but wound up with the same advantages that she already had. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of that, looking at class privilege, um, Pepper but did get like a bit of fame or, you know, she's well known from Paris is burning and told uh, the times in 1993, California magazine said I had sued Miramax and won untold millions and was seen shopping with Diana Ross on Rodeo drive in a rolls. But I really just live in the Bronx with my mom and I'm so (laughs) desperate to get out of here. It's hard to be the mother of a house when you're living with your own mother. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's it's a documentary. I, I just thought it was an interesting, like... Yeah, it is what it is, but it's important to realize that, um, you know, who made it. I don't know if this was necessarily made for white people. I mean, I mean, who's going to go see this movie and who is Merrimax, um, you know, advertising yeah. for it, you know, it's like, well, no, and I don't think it was either. And I don't think that that was her intent at all. Yeah. But um, I do. But it was an interesting. Yeah. It's definitely point. interesting. And I also think that it is an, also an interesting point of who she is, because there were a lot of things that I, people would say things and like, I wanted to investigate that more like the Lena Horn thing with Marilyn mm-hmm. Monroe and just the the caste system and and more of that in terms of race and and that kind of thing that mm-hmm. I think was just are things that you watch now and it's like oh yeah now people are like that's kind of getting more in the mainstream and people are more talking about it like there are a lot of questions that I I felt could be asked like why is it that this is what they have and the and you know like as far as like the realness why is it that they see putting on a suit and trying to blend in as un- this unattainable dream that they can only do there this- the same way that I would imagine dunking on a regulation basketball hoop, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it shouldn't be, like, the idea of putting on a suit and becoming an executive. Why is that so out of the question for them? Because that's terribly right. sad. 
terribly sad because we're not yeah. talking about well, because becoming it's how you get money. But yeah, right. but just that access to a, a basic education. Like yeah. executives aren't geniuses. Like you're just talking about somebody who just puts on a suit and like basically like an accountant or something. That's that should be easily attainable. Right. And they knew that they had the skill to do it. And like if I were white, I would be that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not I don't have the oppor- like just I don't have the opportunity. Yeah. And this I is kinda- nothing new that now people are just talking about it because it's then, but this was 19. I mean, it did start in 1987, which is a pretty good year, other than that. Hello. <laughs> um, also, in the caste system is ageism within that community. Yeah. Because the older um, these women get, the uh, there's always somebody wanting to take their place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, but that's that's life. Also, oh, yeah. the ageism yeah. of of life and always wanting that new that new freshness, that youth. Yeah, but also because as you get older, you are less. Uh, well, hopefully, you are able to accumulate more knowledge, and as you accumulate more knowledge, you are able to then um, reshape your opinions or views that you have on things as as more information becomes available to you therefore making you wiser um hopefully although you know you see the world today and you're like that ah, doesn't happen for many people but when you're younger you are able to be you're easily manipulated and there are mm-hmm. people who prey on that and that's why there is that fresh churn of youth because they won't they just want the the shiny thing so they're not going to ask a lot of questions i mean you see that a lot in Hollywood with the starlets and people coming and how they just get taken advantage of and chewed up and spit out. And why each of these houses have a house mother who it helps, hopefully helps guide the younger people through that. So we are two reheatables and we start with the negatives. Wait, we're at nerd alerts. I'm sorry. I do it every time. (laughs) <laughs> nerd alert so it was 1990 just to set the table what was going on in 1990 we had douglas wilder was the first elected african-american governor he takes office in richmond virginia which was the capital of the confederacy so that is pretty cool it's kind of wild that it's 1990 in the country bn in 1776 but um the first mcdonald's Opened in Moscow. Oh, I was, I was going, where are you going with that? Oh, Nelson, wow. Nelson Mandela was released from prison. Um, Robert Maplethorpe's The Perfect Moment opens at Cincinnati Contemporary Arts Center over the objection of citizens for community values. Now, Robert Maplethorpe was a famous photographer. He died in March 1989 And this show was the most comprehensive retrospective of his work. And it was, there was a controversy over federal funding of the arts and censorship and the citizens for community values. um, They put up a big stink about it because he had a lot of nude photos, a lot of like homoerotic things. And they were like, do this. What are you doing? 
It's like it's in an art museum. If you don't want your kids to see it, don't take them to the art museum, which you're probably not taking your kids to anyway. Right, because it's not just him in an art museum where there were nudes. Right, and the the Cincinnati um, incident, this... He, this wasn't when it opened. It had been um, going around to various different cities. Um, the CCV was designated as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center from 2015 mm-hmm. to 2017 because of their vilifying the LGBTQ plus people as destructive to societies and to families. What, which, what group was that? The uh, Citizens for Community Values. Never heard of them. Yeah. I want to know what they, they did. They sound like a bunch of squares. They do. <laughs> I want to know what Cincinnati. They, they did in 2017 to come off the Southern poverty. Like, how did they get off the hate group list? <laughs> what receipts yeah. did they show the Southern Poverty Law Center of like, no, we stopped vilifying the LGBTQ. They were such yeah. a bore. Nobody wanted to be a member anymore. So they just dismantled. Yeah. Or did the or did the organization just die out in 2017? No, it didn't die out. It morphed into who Mega. was running the country yeah. <laughs> for the last four years. That's true. Like they didn't go away anywhere. They just got organized and smarter about their vilifying. They're like, Since- we're just going to pack the courts then. Cincinnati is notorious. Ohio is notoriously very Republican, and Cincinnati is definitely very Republican. Yeah, uh, a northern state. Oh. So. Um, in May, this is May of 1990, when this film is coming out, the World Health Organization removes homosexuality from its list of diseases. In 1990. 1990. Wow. Yep. Uh, Joanne Rawlings gets an idea about a magical orphan boy on a train from Manchester to London. Mm -hmm. JK. Magical orphan boy. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard him described by like that. (laughs) Isn't he a magical orphan boy? He is. (laughs) He is indeed. Little magical orphan boy. Oh, wizard orphan boy. (laughs) Yeah. Martina Navratilova wins Wimbledon. Um, Many times, didn't she? So many times. West Germany wins the World Cup, and Germany also gets unified. Yes, they did. And finally, in 1990, George H.W. Bush signs into law the Americans with Disabilities Act which is very important. Although when you look around, you're like, man, what is like, like, I think we can do a little more. Cause it's, it's probably, have you heard the amount of subways that are not accessible in New York city? I believe it just looking around. I was listening to a podcast um, and it was with somebody and they were talking about um, Americans with, disabilities and just the ableism and I was like oh ableism oh that oh my gosh that is true and then I was looking at it like yesterday when I was watching tv I because there's that Facebook commercial with the the deaf basketball group Mm -hmm. and if you notice in the commercial there's no sound of you know the ball bouncing and any of that and I was like oh yeah because if like if you're deaf 
you're just and so then after that i was just watching the commercials taking out the you know the sound of like oh you would just you know just processing that information of like oh there's a lot that people who can't hear miss and that's why there's a, a they have their own community. It's a deaf community. It's a, it's a, they have their own culture, a deaf culture and stuff. And right. then if you, then you do the opposite and you do that with sight and sight impairment and how much we, we just live our lives, us ableists just live our lives completely not thinking about that or taking that into account. There's, um, if you don't listen to, I feel like I reference Jonathan Van Ness's podcast a lot. If you're, if it's not on your list, you should put it into your weekly rotation. Um, but he had a, uh, he did an interview every week. He does an interview with somebody and it's like, he asks one big question and they talk. So he interviewed this, uh, person, Carson Tuller, I think is how you spell his last name. Um, and he went through and he had, a, there was an accident in 2013 when that left him paralyzed. So he's an LGBTQ plus and disability advocate. And, um, I don't remember all the specifics cause it was a couple years ago when I listened to it, but he lives in New York city and I think it's something like 75% of the subway stations are not accessible. Oh. And, um, I mean like our train station that we take every day is not, you have to walk up a ton of stairs to get there. Or it's um, just the, the down, you just see it, the down, it's just stairs going down. Yeah. And so he was talking about like, I think that's one of the things, there is something in the works of by some year, I think in MTA, the goal is to have all the subways, subways um, accessible, but that takes forever. Like it, it's mm-hmm. this, infrastructure that's been here for years right and um it's just now happening but he talked about like having to take he's like to get to work i have to take you know i either have to take like an uber which is really expensive Mm -hmm. or a bus but even then you can't count on the buses to be like i think he said one time he had a service dog with him and the bus driver tried to tell him he couldn't bring a dog on and like just like his, he had to transfer buses so he got off he got took a bus to one part of the city then had to transfer to a different bus and the other bus driver wouldn't let him on or something so then he's like oh, i'm just stuck on the side of the road right like, mm-hmm. i don't know it's just insane to me it's like but on the other side you're just saying like oh, okay if you're in a wheelchair you can't live here right yeah exactly. but, but that this is 1990 though that, that this was signed into law and it was supposed to be like the equivalent of what is, the civil yeah. rights is, but it's, you know, the, the same thing where you can have these things into law. The, the person that I was listening to on the podcast I was listening to was like, you know, when she would come across, cause she's a little person. And when she comes across something that, um, uh, you know, where it's her rights are being infringed upon people were like, Oh, we well, need to do something. She's like, what do I do? It's not like there's like I don't you can't put up like a bat signal or like a, a hotline to call. Right. You know? And this is some this is nineteen ninety that this has gone into effect. But it's the because most people don't have to think about that. Right. I mean, this is like a, a reoccurring theme that I hope that we're starting to like get into people's minds is be, just because you don't have to think about that doesn't mean that 
you shouldn't think about it or that you, that it's fine. And like, Oh, they'll figure it out because it's fine for the majority of us. Right. Like you might, you might break your leg and find out how hard it is to maneuver for the three months you're in a cast, but you know, at the end of that, you're going to come out and you're going to be able to cross the street or go up steps. And there are people who aren't. So, you know, for a right. minute, you might be woke into that, but then you let it go because, hey, you're better. The cast is off. Move mm-hmm. on. Yep. Man. So the top five films. Oh, uh, I was like, where are we? Eh, no, I, got I, remember. I got it. It was Total Recall was number five. Four was Dances with Wolves. Three mm-hmm. was Pretty Woman, which I think is interesting because that is about a sex worker yes, it is. with a heart of gold who does not end up under a hotel mattress murdered. Um, two was Home Alone. And the number one movie was Ghost. For the Oscars, the Best Picture nominations were Goodfellas, which I just rewatched and it's so much fun. <laughs> Godfather, The Godfather Part 3, Ghost, Awakenings, and the winner of the Best Picture Oscar was Dances with Wolves, mm-hmm. which I wonder how that has aged. I've never seen that. Oh, interesting. We probably won't do it on here because it's about three hours long. It's very long, but I can't, you know what? I'm I really gonna, like I am curious to see how how it how it has aged. I'm curious about the I am too boat. because even at the time, I mean, uh Kevin Costner falls in love with uh an Indian woman, but she is re- she's white and she was taken in by this tribe. So, you know, he wasn't yeah. breaking any uh, you know. And he also directed it and it's Kevin Costner, you know, white actor in Hollywood. And Mm -hmm. it's this whole thing about it is, I think it falls securely in the white savior film thing. Oh my God. Because he's this white guy and he goes into the, uh, what is, I don't, I can never remember the correct nomenclature. The first Americans, the indigenous people. But even the museum is Native American History Museum, I believe. Okay. I just know in my heart of hearts, I intend no disrespect. It is, but he is in there. And I'm just like, I kind of, where's the Dances with Wolves without the Kevin Costner showing showing Kevin Costner as the savage? And so... I, it just, I think that kind of has a lot to do. Like, you can kind of make the correlation between this film, Paris is Burning, and sort of what's going on with Dances with Wolves, which mm-hmm. is very interesting that came out in the same year, because you have these that question of who gets to tell the story. The story, yeah. We had that before too. Yes, because it's Hollywood. And, <laughs> yeah, we have like, it all the time. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Glory, especially glory. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, Christine, do you have nerd alerts? Um, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I think so. Uh, I don't really know if these are nerd alerts, so we're gonna do them. Hey, it's your birthday. You can yeah. do what you I'm wanna. Put it in whatever 
category I want. You could hide That's right. The category it. is whatever I want it to be. <laughs> That's right. Christine's it. choice. Um, okay. So one of the terms, I did an nerd alert on a term. Yes. I was because hoping. one of my favorite drag queens is Miss Vanjie. And uh, she was on Drag or RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know which season anymore. But um, and they kept saying Vanjie in the film. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is, what is a Vanjie? Um, so a Vanjie is a term from the 80s that describes a certain type of young Latino, black, or multiracial man who has sex with men and who dresses in stereotypical masculine urban fashion for reasons which may include expressing themselves, expressing masculinity, hiding sexual orientation, and or attracting male partners. Um, so then I was like, did Miss Vanjie get her name from that? And she says she's in the Mateo family, and her I think her mother is Alexis Mateo. And she said that she wanted her middle name to be Vanjie because that's the, like, energy that she has but she said alexis couldn't pronounce it so she changed it to vanjie <laughs> so that is definitely not a nerd alert it's a tasty nugget but we did it here um and then oh, we're gonna take a turn uh in the mood this is supposed to be in power of cast but it's your birthday <laughs> we moved it to this section now um yeah, I mean, you talked about it a little bit about just the the rate of trans people that get murdered is mm-hmm. insane and not talked about in the news. Um, so I, there are a couple of different numbers that I saw, so I don't know what's accurate, but this one article from them.us says... On May 25th, it was 27 trans people have been killed in 2021. And I think that's including Puerto Rico and because it said the United States and Puerto Rico. Um, And we're not even halfway through the year. And uh, 2020 was a record-breaking year for fatal anti-trans violence with 44 reported victims. Um, In, In a pandemic! Right. Everybody was supposed to be at home. Well, the, yeah. Well, a lot. The problem is a lot of these. A lot of them are actually like coming from people who know the know them. So like, mm. it's not just not all of them. Some of them are, but you know, people are being murdered by their family members or. Well, yeah. I I mean, in general. If anyone is going to be murdered, usually it's going to be at the hands mm-hmm. of someone they know. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done by, like, you know. I would, I'm curious to know of those who have been killed, those trans people who have been killed, how many of their murders have been solved? And yes. how how many of them are like actively being investigated, mm-hmm. or are just well, you know, they they kind of had it coming from. I forget that there's a very derogative term that the cops would use 
that I would hear, like when you watch the old Law and Orders and stuff, yeah. of just yeah. uh, I I forget what, but it 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 was a completely dehumanizing mm-hmm. term for they would be like oh. Uh, basically what they would say is there would be equating it to like a towel mm-hmm. right. they're, dis- they're disposable well, and then yeah. this um this is from hrc.org that they say sadly 2021 has already seen at least 28 gen- transgender or gender non-conforming people fatally shot or killed by other violent means we say at least because too often these stories go unreported or misreported Mm-hmm. And in previous years, the majority of these people were Black and Latinx transgender women. So even when you say 28, it could be more than that. And it just has not been reported. So how could exactly. you know that it happened to... Um, and so the other thing, but I did come across a story about an activist. Um, this was published on Tuesday, actually. Her, uh, her name is Kayla Gore. And she's building tiny homes. It says Kayla Gore is building tiny homes and trans futures in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, she was talking about how like middle school was treacherous and she was bullied. Um, and she moved a lot as a kid, but her mom bought a house when she was in middle school. So we were more rooted and wasn't moving around or changing schools. So she was able to get a better like support system. And I didn't, Really, I mean, obviously, like, it sucks to move a lot as a kid, but if you're somebody who's different and you have to make new friends every school you go to and you're moving every year, like, how, you know, you're bound to have, it's hard to find a core group. Um, So, director of My Sister's House, it's a Memphis-based organization founded to help bridge the gap in services for trans and queer people of color with an emphasis on providing stable housing. They've raised roughly $600,000, including over $335,000 through a GoFundMe to build homes for trans women. Um, And she said the economics for trans folks is not where it should be. There's not equity in employment. There's not equity in home, leasing, or renting process. We want to help solve all of that. Um, And so according to a report, and this is on CNBC.com where I'm getting this. Um, but according to a report by the National LGBTQ Task Force, 41% of Black trans people have experienced homelessness, more than five times the rate of the general U.S. population. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a... If you're looking for somewhere to donate to... Yeah, that's a great cause. Tiny homes. There's a tiny home village over here in North Hollywood. Huh. I don't I don't know if it's uh I don't I doubt that it's like I think it's for everybody. I doubt that it's like trans people of color yeah. specific, but yeah, well, that is a big thing, like tiny homes. And so the organization now owns three lots of lands and one tiny home has been fully completed and two more are currently under construction. There are plans for many more. The homes will be given away to trans women of color in needing in need of housing. Um, Excellent. That would be great. This is, I mean, just like, I don't know, everything I've been reading is like, just the statistics are an estimated 40% of trans adults have attempted suicide, nearly nine times the national attempted suicide rate. And, you know, so, and it was 42% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year, according to the Trevor Project. So, I mean, and that's, 
that's in that's in 2021 where pride month is a is a thing where stores are you go into target and get yourself a shirt where they're celebrating uh, don't it. get your pride shirt at target well <laughs> well you might i don't know where their funds are going i'm sorry <laughs> i'm just but i'm just i'm just saying that no, like that's the statistic then when when yeah, people and then are when this, when this right. was made in the right. 90s, yeah, like, we're talking, but it's, it's not like it's not like transgender people just started existing in the last two yeah. or three years, you know, like this is something that ever since the beginning of time has right. when, when we yeah. became humans is is a thing, and so. I mean, they're they're like they're just now taking into account and then doing the statistics and putting that. But the the numbers would are shocking. I it would be mind blowingly staggering to if you piece it together because the numbers you can only report on that which you know. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you have to think about in the whole history of time how many people have taken themselves out because they didn't even know what like that that this was a thing because that other people were like them yeah i mean that was one of the things i found fascinating about this movie was hearing the transgender women talk about themselves and kind of in me in the future knowing like the terms and what they're talking about and and them not really even having the vocabulary to mm-hmm. talk about what they were going through or trying to explain it and just, you know, just doing like the best that they could where I'm like, Oh, now, and, and it, some, some of the terms, some of the things that, that would be said, you would look at it and be like, Oh, I don't, but, but that, that was, that was just something that they, they didn't have the vocabulary. It wasn't this, oh, so you have to think of how many people were just like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And then mm-hmm. yeah. now people could be like how we watched that disclosure documentary. It's on Netflix of being like, now at least it's out there. Maybe more people can be like, wait, is maybe I'm born in the wrong body. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who who they don't like that because they think that it's planting seeds in the people's minds. But the thing is, those seeds have already been planted and you're yeah. planting. We didn't do the planting. It's there. It's helping right. people. Right. Like, right. why would you want, if you had a child, why would you want them to struggle with this? I don't know what's going on. I don't know. When it's like, well, hey, are, does your body match what your mind is? Or, you know, does all that sync up? If not, maybe you have ge- the, what is it, gender dysphoria. Like, is that what could be an issue? And how many people would be like, actually, it is. I bet that there's so many more people who probably have that than we even know because they didn't know that that was something that they could have. Right. 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 I I hope I'm explaining that correctly. Right. And you even look at um, Caitlyn Jenner, who is white, had plenty of money definitely was living on white privilege and it still took her over half her life to live her authentic life yeah 
Christine, is this where you wanted to mention Pulse, the nightclub? Oh, I mean, yes, sure. <laughs> it is a good time to, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, that is a good time. But yeah, no, I just wanted to acknowledge because yesterday was the fifth anniversary, I believe, of the um, terrorist act that uh -huh. happened in Orlando in 2016 um, at Pulse nightclub where uh, 49 people were killed and 53 were wounded um, when someone, I don't even know his name, which I guess is good. Yeah, um, don't give him the shine. He don't came in it. and um, it was, and started to sh The shooting. massacre. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, yeah, most of the, it was at a gay club called Pulse. They were hosting a Latin night and most of the victims were Latino. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the deadliest incident in the history of violence against LGBT people in the United States and the deadliest terrorist attack in the U.S. since September 11th. Yeah. Yeah. Until the deadliest mass shooting, which is sad, until the 2017 That's Las Vegas. Vegas shooting. Yeah. Yeah. So... And I'm sure we have something awesome to look forward to because what has changed? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I don't think it'll be one of our 15 listeners, but, you know. But who yeah, knows? Don't, yeah, you I don't know. know. Um, well, now, Erin, is it time for Reheatable? If Teeny is I'm allows done. it and Yeah, you guys can do whatever you want in this section. <laughs> Repeatable sounds good. Okay, well, my biggest one is the families disowning these children who are transgender because they don't understand it. They feel like it's um, a stain on their reputation. They I can't imagine just disowning your child and being okay with walking away from your child. And um, that's why there's so much homelessness and a lot of deaths because they, they don't have that support anymore. And that's why the, the mothers of the houses were so important. Take these youngins and move them along. Yeah. That was Tommy. I'm pretty sure snoring. Or was it Matt? Oh, I don't know which one of those it was. It wasn't me burping, listeners. Not that time. Okay, other negatives? Um, I... Perfume ladies. Perfume ladies. Aaron, like gotta... in, the, in the stores? Yeah. The perfume. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Do you know Ooh. this about me, Teeny? No. Oh, she was our she was our human tester. I hate it now. It's why I I don't go Christmas shopping with my father anymore. Because as a little kid, he would take me to the the perfume counter, and they would just spray me to see how it smelled. I was, and they would get it in my nose. <laughs> it's why I don't wear perfume to this day because <laughs> it, I would get itchy. 
it would get stuck in my nose, my eyes would water. And even to this day, as a 40-year-old woman, if my dad's like, let's go Christmas shopping and we and <laughs> we go to a mall, a Macy's or anything, I do not, I stop. I do not walk through the perfume section. I'm like, no, because even as an adult, he tricked me one time. And then yeah, he, was he like, did. It was yeah, like, oh, and I, oh, oh, I got so mad. I hate it. I hate that section. It smells. I instantly get, I, I get the PTSD when I, when I ever have to walk through that section. And I have it. was it his go-to gift. Time. Perfume was his go-to yeah. gift. Yeah. I just he also, it smell good. Also, so, I mean, that's just a negative reheatable for life for me yeah. is giving perfume as a gift because yeah. unless you know what perfume or cologne or scent the person likes, yeah. then don't buy it for them. I'm not right. going to wear what you think smells good. I want to wear, I'm the one who has to smell it all day. Like and you I, should only buy per, like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand why that is such a huge gift. And, also, and on, only apply only apply sparingly, because a lot of people have allergies now. Skin yeah. irritations, eczema that doesn't do well with all of these weird chemicals on them. Why am I? We ban testing on animals. Why are you? Why are you testing it on your own daughter? <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh! Oh my gosh, man, I'm shook. I got it. Oh, oh, the memories. Um, um, the, um, and then I just wrote down AIDS yes. as a negative. Just, yeah, such a bad reheatable. Yeah, AIDS, and then just getting. I mean, that's a terrible, terrible, but also just the stigma of HIV, which, yeah, you know, and just like misinformation that people have and. Yeah. Oh, it was crazy so in the people, 80s. And so many people from this film died from complications of AIDS. Mm -hmm. That, Like when I was doing the particulars, I was just like, wow, 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 wow. I mean, pretty everybody that we've already spoke got taken out by it, including Roger or Robert Maplethorpe, um, mm -hmm. Dorian, Corey, Ugh, so many it's just wow and the stigma behind it and right. that it, i remember like that's why it was such a big deal when magic johnson announced that he had it it was like magic johnson's dead he's yeah, right like, I, I was just like he's dead it's yeah it's somehow started i mean i just think in the night like when i was in school that was how it was taught is if you get hiv it's a death sentence and it's not yeah. no but I not remember. now because they spent not now. They spent yes. the money right. to actually right. no, but look in into the, it. Yeah. In the 80s, but also the early nineties too. But even still now there's medicine that you can there's like medicine you can take that makes it basically almost undetectable in your blood, but it's not cheap. And it's advertised on television. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's not crap, cheap like and if you don't have insurance and right. Well, that's just the... It's not the accessible, and there's system. your power of caste, yeah. Yeah, the caste system of medicine and... Right. That kind of thing. So, yes, definitely. Um, my negative reheatable, like, we've talked about this a lot, but I, specifically with ter within the terms of I felt how 
it this was handled in the film um again it's a documentary so you don't know what footage they had available maybe this was the best that they could do but i thought the handling of venus's death and the mm-hmm. violence against i it was just how like angie extravaganza um it was a bad edit i felt because i know that she was venus's mom and in the house of extravaganza in the house right um, but just in the, you know, it's just, oh, in the documentary is just like, oh, Venus was found murdered. And then it's, you know, Angie Extravaganza. And it's like, well, she was always too wild in the streets. And it's just like. So I it's know. her fault. Yeah. yeah. And you know that that's not what Angie Extravaganza feels. It's right. so much more nuanced because she is her mom. And, and you know that, she, yes, she. It's yeah, it's making it out to be her fault. And maybe there are things that she, you know, but she was also 22. And when you're 22, who doesn't have things of like, oh, probably shouldn't have done that. Like, I probably shouldn't have walked across West Philadelphia at 1 a.m. by myself alone. Many, many, many times. Probably shouldn't have done that. Um, But But I kind of took it as like, my perception, I guess, was more of like, wow, this happens so much. Like, this isn't a unique situation. Like, yeah, yeah. you kind of get hardened and numb to it. Yeah. Like another one. Like how we right. do mass shootings in this country. Yeah. Like how we react right. to them now. Of like, oh, okay. Or police killings of people right. of color. Of- Here we right. go again. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of already mentioned it about the, just how sad it was that the idea of being an executive or like the military for like the realness, mm-hmm. you know, when like to be able yeah. to pass and stuff. And it's like, if you're 18, but you know, they, that's just sad. It's just very sad to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I that the guy who I think it was Venus wasn't it a guy and he was the one that said that he bought Venus's breast and then yes. he was mauling at them oh, and yes. it was kind of like because he bought they them to me yeah and I don't if she was cool with it then i'll just shut up and, and okay but i just i just didn't like the just his whole like oh i bought them there i can do that like maybe they mm-hmm. had a a different relationship and it it would be like no it's really fine but i don't know especially then when you find out how her life ended i i just felt that he was just way too handsy and just it was just creepy to me and i don't feel like she would have the um agency agency exactly the word i'm looking for to say you know i'm not comfortable with that because she she had nothing and he did pay for that for her so she probably felt like okay do what you want because you gave me this. Yeah, because, yeah. And and that was one of, I mean, 
I know it's going to sound flippant, but I don't mean it's flippant. It probably like her most prized possession because that's what she she really wanted to go through and do the whole gender reassignment. And so she got the top half done. And that was just, uh, you, you know, like she would otherwise, how would she be able She would never be able to afford it on her own? Well, I don't want to sell her short and say never. It just seemed very It's really hard to dig yourself out of the poverty that she was experiencing. Because that's the way that that the caste system has been set up. I mean, that's what Tini said, like, where you are, they want you to stay. Mm -hmm. And then my final negative reheatable is um, that I and so many others probably, like myself, of around that age, learned about voguing from Madonna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't... I liked, I, I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of Madonna. I also didn't hate Madonna, but I remember when Vogue came out, I didn't, I, I was just lukewarm on it. I was just like, eh, whatever the video, eh, eh. And then finding out later of no Vogue, actually the origins of Voguing and where it came from. I was like, oh, well, that sucks that I learned about it from exactly, her. Exactly. Exactly. She did bring it it's into I, the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't bring it along with the information behind it. Cause I only knew voguing through her. And I thought, oh, they got voguing from Madonna. And then I went, not quite. And and her voguing was a precursor to selfies. I mean, that's what voguing is just striking a pose. Yeah. You know, well, but, but she, that, I mean, that was her scene though. She was around that. She uh-huh. was a club kid in New York. And so she just blew up and, and did that. And I, I don't know. I want to believe that she always acknowledged where it was if, like where her influences came from. Um, but I could see how, like if you were to, if she were, if she were to be interviewed and asked about it, that she would be forthcoming about it. But yeah. it is, it is that thing like, like with Elvis Presley, you know, just that you just keep seeing it. Like, you know, I, I hope that she was well, more like the Rolling Stones have you seen Strike a Pose? No. So this is um, in 2017. There's a new docu. There's a new documentary I read. Then 2017, a documentary called Strike a Pose came out, and it catches up with six dancers who unknowingly would become icons to legend to legions legends legions of dancers and gay kids worldwide. Um, and I think it it's about her dancers. Oh, oh. Nice. wait, I saw an advertisement for that. Well, I did have one more negative. Yes. Um, we had learned that in uh, um, originally uh, everybody was making their own costumes. And so they had to know about sewing and they had to be able to purchase a sewing machine. That That is not a, a cheap thing, but they were living in like a tiny, tiny room, probably with a, a group bathroom down the hall, but they had their sewing machine. Mm-hmm. And then it got to 
um, high-end things. And so the, it, they alluded to it. They didn't go into it a lot, but there was stealing. I mean, they would shoplift the stuff because they sure couldn't oh, yeah. buy something. They had a, the guy had a name for it too. I forget what the slang term was for it, but yeah, it was yeah. basically just stealing. Well, yeah, yeah that's how, how um, the season. That's how Pose starts. That first episode. Oh, okay. okay. Is they're going in and they steal these outfits um, from a muse- from a museum. Wow. to the ball <laughs> yeah so i mean that's in the beginning they were they were proud of their own product they were making and then mm-hmm. it became stealing to look like the rich white people in new york city mm-hmm. okay is that all of the well um, and then but also ma that's the if you don't have that talent or that like sewing is a it's like anything you have to put the time into it yes you do you have to to practice and get good and see and you have to fail you have to fail at it and it's uh it i could see how people would want to cheat that and steal and now i have that I, i didn't have any of the time but the 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 failing of the stealing is you're going to jail like that so again you had to be on your game in those boutiques to be able to get out of there with an outfit and not get caught so that is a skill set in well of its or own you just well. grab it in and run out well there's many different ways. <laughs> i'm many sure different ways there's many steal. different methods i'm of, uh... sure you've seen it all <laughs> yeah so so there's that okay so now we are to positive reheatables mm-hmm I just have the, um, when you find your community. Ah, yes, your people. Your people, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a great thing. Choosing your own family. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, be, but sometimes you have to, sometimes, you know. That's sometimes always. it's forced upon you by the person you marry. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that sucks, doesn't it? Well, not on this end, but uh, I guess it's painful on yours. Yeah, I was just going to say sometimes you win the lottery and you were just, (laughs) you were born into it. And then somebody that you're related to makes a fantastic decision and brings other people into it. But okay, Teeny, if you want to go there. I really like the win the lottery thing because there were some, there was, I mean, there were some runners up that, wouldn't have passed the test at time. There were runners up. Run, yeah, who were running Not, up? Well, just other girls that had been around. I oh, mean, he I... brought other girls no, around. Not that I met. I didn't meet a one. <laughs> you put a kibosh on one named Aaron. You oh, were like, yeah. "There's only one Aaron in this what family." What the hell? We're not doing that. So we are two positive reheatables from other people. Well, I have, um, I wrote the inclusivity of balls. Yes, that's a very good point. Because they were talking about, I can't remember, I don't know, they were just like, if there's something you want to be, if there's a category you want, we'll do it. Like, yes, yes. Um, Willie Ninja, 
Oh yes, Willie Ninja. Yeah, I really, I really fell in love with Willie Ninja. Yeah. Um, I don't remember who it was. Somebody was wearing a blue outfit that had it was like a blue tank top and then shorts and a button up that were blue striped, and I really liked that outfit. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, honestly, all of I was watching it, and I was just like, isn't this funny? I feel like if we watched this ten years ago, we would be like, oh my god, eighties fashion. And watching it today, I'm like, wow, everybody would literally wear that right now. Yes. That's yeah. what I thought when I was out in society for the first time, like just in Brooklyn looking around, and I'm just like, wow, every, the 2020s will just be, you'll take a picture and you could say, was this in 1980 or was this in 2020? Or and 1970. I, or 1970, oh, we're a, yeah. It's crazy how much 70, it's like 70s and 80s and 90s yes. are all yes. in style now. Did you guys see the the thing about the the wolf cut haircut that is basically the clute that's that's taking that is like really? in style now? Seventies hair is like all yeah yeah, and it's and if you can get a good back. shag is yes mm-hmm. a shag. I wish I had a picture mm-hmm. of me with the shag. It wasn't a good look. I for me. wish because I wanted to do it and I can't. My hair can't hold anything. I want to see the shag on you, Ma. So I'll have to look. Let's do it. First, we got matching tattoos. Let's get matching shag haircuts. Yeah, I'm in. I already have the shag, so I'm in. Oh, oh gosh, I guess I'm kind of committed to this. <laughs> oh my man, was was that it for your good reheatables? Oh no. Oh. I do like the, I can't imagine because I remember I've seen pictures of my mom with the super straight, like what yes. is that, 70s long hair. Yeah, not 80s. parted in the middle because I have a cowlick right in the middle. So a little off to the side. An off kilter shag. Okay. Yeah. No, it wasn't a shag. Oh, straight it hair. Then it straight. was straight hair. Yeah. But well, you're lucky you, did, you made it out alive. Yeah. All of the serial true. killers seem to like that. Right. Only, only, what's his name? Uh, Ted Bundy liked brown hair. Oh, yeah. Better than blonde. That's and I was blonde. pretty blonde back then. Um, yeah, you're With the help of straight hydrogen. Straight from serial killers and Nazis. <laughs> That's right. Well, That's right. Got the, which uh, I've been listening to this podcast. People are like, where are you going with this podcast? You're bouncing everywhere. But that's why you're listening to Strong 15, and I salute you. The Daily has been doing the Day X about the German uh, oh, yeah, right movement. And I, every time I hear an episode, I'm like, and that's why you don't have German citizenship, Erin. <laughs> that's <laughs> why like, you every said. Time I, visit, I want to, t- but I'm like, she's asleep. I'm like, thanks, Ma. You are right about this. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, you're welcome. I, so, but yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, the talent it takes to read someone, like when they were talking about reading, it's, I mean, and you can, s- it's painful when it doesn't go well. Like, it's like watching a stand-up comic fail, yes. I feel like. Yes. But the, like, I don't know, just reading people is hilarious. And you have to be able to ride that line of, like, is this just mean or, you know, I, there's, Aaron and I, and I write that Rupert. line every day. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's just me. Yeah. Well, you gotta know who you can say it to. Um, and 
Uh, oh, I thought I said something wrong. Um, oh, if it was about me, like, oh, I yeah, I don't know. Um, what am I saying? Yes, you can't be mean. Oh, okay, I reference your post drag race a lot, which I'll get to that in a second, but it's because it's so mainstream and. Mm-hmm. They do like a, it's basically like roasting people and they do a roast every episode pretty much. And this last one, I remember them being like you, like one of the Queens, it was just like, you, you were just being mean. Like you weren't roasting or like reading anyone. Like you're just being mean, you know? So I don't know the ability to just do that. Um, and it's hilarious. Uh, flexibility. Yes. God. They would be great at Twister. Obviously, and then I wrote down, I guess this is, I want my cheekbones risen. <laughs> <laughs> but you really don't, but yeah. Yeah, you I don't do. need that. But... I know, but I want it. Um, yeah, and then it would look like you had them done and that you don't Yeah, and then I, my. influence that this has had and I don't know if this is positive because it's not always credited mm, yes I know what you're talking because I have the but, same repeatable yes. yeah but like so I'll use that as my example of RuPaul's Drag Race I saw one headline that said RuPaul's or, Paris is burning walked so RuPaul's Drag Race could run yeah. And oh, okay. I mean, the amount of like just, I mean, all their terms said yeah. just like um, shade, shade, fierce. I'm gagged, fierce, um, even opulence, you own everything is like yes. something mm-hmm. that has become popular because of drag race now. Like, I don't know. Like, they said it because of this because of Paris is burning and then they made it even more famous. So I don't know. It's just, they, it's really influenced a lot of like pop culture and yes. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize like saying I'm gagged. I didn't know that came from this or from back then. I thought that was a newer term that has just been in the past few years, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's my positive. Oh, um, because Billy Porter won a um, an Emmy, I don't. That would not have happened even ten years ago. Yeah. Oh yeah, when and he, I guess the influence on Pose that it has had. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that getting a, a wider, yeah, shade? Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden yeah, I'm hearing shade. everything about shade, and yeah. you're like, oh, and then I'm watching this movie. I'm like, oh shit, this is where shade mm-hmm. came from. Mm-hmm. Throwing shade, fierce. This is yeah. where fierce mm-hmm. came from. Just all of these things, and it it is pretty fascinating how, yeah, it comes and in. It's I th- a fine line between being able, you know, like obviously like Pose and RuPaul's Drag Race, but then other groups that start like I don't know it's another part of a pro- like it's you gotta not make sure you're not cultural appropriation like well that's what that's I think huge, that's, the, no. that's the life cycle of these things is yeah. that it, well it yeah starts- we had this conversation last week and then you gotta come up with something new and right exactly because then it then you have you know 
grandmother's doing dapping. What is it? Dapping? Dapping? Me. Yeah. Only yeah. I would do it wrong because my fist would be in the wrong place. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but I think, yeah. and like, you know, I think now it is easier to, um, with the internet, it can be easier to give the right people the acknowledgement. And I mean, TikTok is a huge example. They, there's a huge thing going on about like, um, so when you like duet or when you, you, you can like duet videos on TikTok or use a sound on TikTok and you can credit the original creator of it. And so there's a whole thing of like, where if you don't do that, that happens. And then you don't, you think that that person came up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what, what dances and stuff, because the TikToks will blow up, and it was like, but a lot of these dances that... It was made by a black creator, and exactly. then these white girls that have millions of followers blow them up, so... I mean, that's, that's both. Their circle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what happened, the, the same thing that happened, and... But so, yeah. now... Yeah, but now the technology is kind of catching up, where it's in real time, can credit, and be like, no, I didn't come up with this. I'm just bringing it to you. This and is if you actually... don't credit it, then it's much easier for people to be like, no, you didn't credit this. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm not on TikTok. Because <laughs> of all your dances that you do, though, you don't All my dances people. I do. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any more good reheatables? No. All right. I have... I thought that it was interesting and cool how um, there was that scene where they were they were in one of the parks and they were talking about explaining the ballroom scene and they put it in terms of sports about how like yeah yes. people go with the sports and stuff and I was when I watched it I was like oh that's that's a really mm-hmm. cool way to um, put it something into terms to make other people on in terms like meeting people where they are and putting it in terms where they can understand it but then when i read um i shouldn't say but then i read when i read um bell hooks's essay on this she read it as the mastery of feminine as being masculine so like oh they put it in terms of sports and then they're mastering femininity and because and that is she was saying that that is then masculine the mastery of feminism is masculine but i kind of don't see it that way because if you see it the way that she does wouldn't that mean that mastery can't then be feminine like, I just thought that was something that was really interesting when I read her essay that I was just like, well, wait a second. That would mean that competition and that kind of mastering it is only a masculine endeavor. Right. And Which I, is totally not the truth. Have you? Yeah. Have you seen uh, Simone Biles? Yeah, exactly. So maybe that wasn't what she was saying, but she she was definitely saying that the mastery of feminine is in itself masculine. And I'm just like, I, I don't know about that. That's, that's too heady for me. Yeah. And maybe, <laughs> maybe that's just one of those things where she's just too smart for me. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I love that they were like, Oh, it's like our sports. And this is, this is our competition. And the way that, that you follow these basketball players and, 
stuff like we're right. into this this is our thing this is what we right. do so uh, that that humanizes because you have you then have reached into their wheelhouse mm-hmm. and and you are crossing that line of this is what you're comfortable with let me introduce you to this in terms of what you understand and, and that yeah. makes it more understandable and it is a competition they are competing Oh, and they, they and they want to win. There was that scene where somebody was going to get disqualified because it was oh my uh, god a, a woman's coat. coat. Yeah, and they were like, no, the buttons are on the other side. Which yeah, got to look up, but yeah, that that was this thing. Uh, I also have the I put this in my good reheatables, the '80s New York City, and yeah. good and bad. Exactly, cause cause it's good in that. It fostered so much creativity. I mean, yeah. also, the you know, this was in Harlem. You have the Bronx, 80s. That's where hip-hop was born, uh-huh. right? So there's all of this underground stuff that we that is happening then that now in 2020 is completely mainstream and that had yeah. its origins right. there. Right. And, and then you see the, the footage of it, and it's, it's just so grimy. And you're just yeah. like, oh. But yeah, like just just super super gritty. But then I can see how people like Fran Lebowitz love that. Yeah. And they're just, oh, that was. The I first loved her cameo. One. Exactly. But then also in the same, I can hold these both these thoughts in my head at the same time. The just the horror of that at the same time. Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. of of 80s New York and just what's going on. So yeah. I want to acknowledge both of those things. Right. Um and then I think this is my last one. I would I really like the intersectionality of discrimination. And I think mm-hmm. that this movie kind of shows it and the discrimination based on race, gender, mm-hmm. sexual identity, age, class, body image, physical ability. And I add mental ability as well. Mm-hmm. And when you actually take into account all of those things, especially the mental ability, adding that into it, it's there's very few and far between among us who don't fit in at some part to one of those things. Oh my God, yes. And when you start kind of taking your blinders off and looking at the world through all of these things of intersectionality, that's what, like, when people, when you hear about it, that's what people are talking about. All of those ingredients that go into it, it just, it gives you a broader perspective of the world and what's going on. And it makes you connect to humanity on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Those are my good reheatables. So we are to quotables. And as Christine said, this, uh, um, I don't remember her exact words, but they were really good in a tweet about, this is probably the most quotable (laughs) boomer film we've ever watched. I mean, the very, at the very beginning. um, Anyway, I said, this is going to have too many quotables. Yeah. Pepper La, La Beja. Beja. Mm-hmm. Did anybody get that quote that the dad said to Pepper? Yep. I remember was... my dad said, you have three strikes against you yes. in this world. 
every black man has two, that they're black and they're male. But you're black and you're male and you're gay. If you're going to do this, you're going to have to be stronger than you ever imagined. Hence the mental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. Oh, there were so many. Okay, go on with yours, Teeny. All right. Um, I think Pepper LaBasia said this too. Yeah, she did. Um, I still think I rule it. She's talking about being a, a house mother. Yes. But I still think I rule it pretty well. They like me. I'm one of the more popular ones. And I was <laughs> like, I looked at Adam and I was like, that's how I see myself at work. I was like, <laughs> I saw myself. <laughs> they like me. I'm one of the more popular ones. That's how I felt as a, as a elementary school teacher. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I, they like me. Sorry in advance because I didn't write down who said these things. I, I didn't either. I think I'm going to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said, or even middle class doesn't suit me. Yes. Yeah. I worked with this girl who was Indian from India. And her parents were so disappointed that she became an elementary school special ed teacher. Because that was so beneath so she what? was probably in one of those high class. She cast. was very high caste to the point where her father was going to arrange a marriage for her. And she spent a year as a middle-class girl and said, I'm done. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't do middle-class. I'm going to let him arrange a marriage. Cause I, I can't shop at Armani express. Yeah. <laughs> And I loved her. (laughs) I loved her. But she knew what her limitations were. Yeah. And these people weren't even living as middle class. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, We're not going to be shady, just fierce. Yes, I had that. That was the guy who, I I don't know who his name is, but he was like the, in a... that Billy Porter does is pray tell that you know, like the MC of the yeah. ball. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, black people have a hard time getting anywhere, and those that do are usually straight. Yes, yes, that's yep. true. I just wrote down Shante. Shante, Shante, and then opulence. You own everything. Everything is yours. Um. I love that. What is this? Oh, he said any. Oh, and they were talking about being able to like, like stealing clothes versus having like making them and having Mm -hmm. the labels. He said any shoplifter can get a label. Like, like looking, you know, people thinking that since you're wearing a certain label, you're rich. Any Mm -hmm. shoplifter can get a label. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. I do have. I forgot. I forgot to write this down. But I have to shout out that they shouted out Roy Rogers. That was where they went to eat, and they they took all the food. Yeah, (laughs) because it was already prepared. Yeah, just walked out with it. Yeah. I think. Where else can you go and get it your way and not pay a thing? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I love that guy. Um, this is when from Eileen Ford when they were doing the Ford model agency thing. Eileen Ford, that's who I couldn't yes. think of. Yeah. She said when people when people ask how you feel, don't tell them if you're sick because they don't really care. Um and she also 
She also said, everybody who's young has a dream, and I don't think it's been different in the history of the world. Yeah. Wow. Uh, then you grow up and get those dreams shattered, and you move on. Mm-hmm. And then, Aaron, do you have who said this? You left a mark on... Th- you left a mark on the world yes, if wait. we just get through it and a yes. few people remember your name. Yes, I do know who said that. Be- yes. Well, I mean. Well, those are my quotables, so. Yeah, that was Doria Corey. That's what right. I that love, Doria. Yeah. Yes. Oh. I have. and I. Oh, Octavia St. Laurent said this, which I was like, oh, damn, drop it in. I mean, geez. If money wasn't important in the world to survive, I guess I wouldn't want anything but what I have now. Exactly. But since money does, I hope the way I look puts money in my pocket. Exactly. And I was like, oh, man. That, man, it's just, it's so true. To survive. Trying to get money was so much a part of this. But she was like, I have everything that I need now. But, right. and I would be completely but who doesn't happy. Feel, yeah, who doesn't feel that? And, you know? Completely. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Um, to be able to blend, that's realness. Which is mm, yeah. so, so loaded and, and crazy yeah. to think about. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. that's your life, too. Oh, wow. I put that money quote twice. So, okay. So those are my quotables. (laughs) Okay. I have, I like competition. It makes me stronger. I believe Mm -hmm. that was pepper. Mm -hmm. It's an addictive high that won't hurt you. Yeah. That's Dorian. Which is funny. Dorian. Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's like we, I want, I was going to mention this earlier too, like watching pose. They like the house. Uh, one of the houses the mother was like I have rules here like you have to have Mm. a job and you cannot do drugs like you can't be selling drugs you can't be doing drugs you can't bring any drugs into my house um and it's like they really are doing the part of like trying to keep these kids or their children from growing up and you know not doing because these are the kids or who, or... who would be most likely to do drugs yeah. in order to forget that you were kicked out of your family home and your parents have disowned you. And and it's it's drugs and all the stuff that drugs like with addiction, but it, it's also then the, again AIDS. And oh yeah, you know yeah. if if you end up getting into that heroin and and you're doing the needle stuff, yeah. Um, the second part of that quote, though, that Dorian Corey says is uh, roughly something to do with because she's talking about, well, it's basically if more people did balls, then it's something like, wouldn't it be a great world if it was people just did balls and then there would be no yeah. need for drugs? Yeah. Right, right. Because mm-hmm. it's such a high yeah. during during the the. Um, and I think Dorian, Dorian, Dorian Corey also said, young ones always bucking to move the old ones out of the way. 
Mm-hmm. Man, Dorian Corey was just dropping so oh, many times yeah. on this. Because Dorian had lived a life. Oh my yeah. God, had she lived a life. I hope Teeny has it for Tasty Nuggets, just a, a little. Because, yeah, she lived a life. I would want to read her autobiography. Well, she, she needs to write it. Oh, because of dates. In the early 90s. Oh, yeah. damn. Um,. It's no, yeah, it, she, she also said it's no longer about what you can create, but what you can acquire. And that, I mean, she's basically talking about like, this is a ball community, transgender, but you can apply all of this to larger American society. Exactly. What she is exactly. Uh, all of my quotes are hers. I'm realizing um, funny that I am identifying with the oldest person in the, um, they call them competitions, but believe me, they are wars. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And then she said, I really did do all of her quotes. As you get older, <laughs> you aim a little lower. That's the truth. L- uh, we are to LVP, least valuable player to me, mm-hmm. because, you know, I introduced it so I get to go first, is disowning your children okay aids is a really close second aids is horrible awful but disowning your own children i just don't understand well you have a you have a wonderful heart and you're a wonderful mother full of unconditional love and as your child i thank you for that (laughs) (sighs) yeah i just uh, it's just beyond me. So, okay. Other people's LVPs, please. Mine is just what Aaron has brought up this whole time of like, the only reason that this exists is because it's unacceptable. Like, yes, to be who these people are and you can't get ahead in the world and you can't be an executive. So you have to, Pretend like you're an executive because it could never happen to you in the real world. And that's my LVP. Exactly. Exactly. My LVP is the idea because it's merely an idea. Normal. Yeah, the word normal of yeah. all, uh, at all. Yeah. What the Because none is that? of us are normal. Yeah. I, to- I used to tell my parents that all the time in parent teacher conferences. No child is normal. Every child has issues. And I, I, I find myself as I am just trying to be more mindful and of the language that I use and the, the perspective of things of being of, you know, trying to, trying to put into words, the things that I, that I know and feel, you know, using the correct nomenclature because it's always changing and, and stuff. And, and I don't, I'm not one that's against that because it's words and words change their meaning. And the reason that the words and everything and the nomenclatures change is because people, because if it's something without these confines and people use like just like normal of what the majority of the people are, but we're not because mm-hmm. it's easy to classify people with physical disabilities that you can see 
obviously caste because that's what this country is built on, which is skin color. Um, and I think somebody had a great quote about the about skin color. Oh no, your face. Somebody said something about how your your face can't hide your race or something. And it was basically yeah, there was, yes. yeah, it was basically about like you know skin color and how we have that cast. Although they didn't have Isabel Wilkerson's book, so that, exactly. to, to put into terms of that. But yeah, how that is and has always been a thing. But when you expand it out, and what about the disabilities that people have that we can't see? And I think in the pandemic, we're starting to kind of bring that to the forefront, which is mental illness and how yes. much of, of the pain and the hurt that has happened because hurt people hurt people and the history of hurt that gets passed down from people to people. Exactly. Like the parents of these transgender people who, like you mentioned as their LVPs, that that had to hurt them. And then the pain oh that God, yeah. their siblings then felt and the guilt. Yes. And all of that, that is, and that's all mental health and all of yes. that. And when you take, that's why I took into account the, the mental aspect of it. None of us are normal. Right. Because right. man is, man as in humans, all of us with that voice that is in our head is inherently dysfunctional. Yeah. And the sooner that you get to getting into that voice and monitoring it and being like, no, that's not helpful. Why, why are you talking to me like that? No. Would you say that to somebody else? No, that's all like mental health. And that's mm -hmm. why, that's why this world is so dysfunctional. And that's why there is no such thing as normal. I yeah. have a, I have a very dear friend who, uh, has a, a transgender daughter and she is so supportive of her daughter and and watching her but she still has struggles what do you do with the the school photos and the and the photos before you began your transition and and I fully accept your transition but I mean that's all really hard to deal with but the bottom line is you're my child. I love you. So I will make, I, I mean, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to change, to make myself the best mother I can be for you. So this is very dear to my heart, watching her and knowing that her daughter has moved to a place and found a community where she is completely accepted and can be her authentic self is so amazing i mean it's a it's a positive in what is usually a very negative story mm -hmm. yes i mean the statistics don't lie so that no. is that's a win so my mvp is the families that embrace their children no matter what their children throw at them yeah that's a great one um, my MVP is this movie being made and putting fall culture and yes. mm -hmm. on the map. Um, yes. and I found an article on NPR and it was about mostly like the music of the movie, but they had, um, some quotes from 
some uh, musical artists on here. And so this is from Big Frida, who said, when Paris is Burning came out, I was just a kid in the local choir at my church in New Orleans. I remember how much I loved everything about it, the characters, the costumes, the music. I couldn't believe they were gay, black, and Latino men being portrayed like that on screen. It meant a lot to me and in many ways inspired me to do something different and follow my dreams no matter what others said. In many ways, Bounce is the new ball culture. And then she said, we're making a film called Bounce Queen about bounce music. Oh. Um, Katie Red, Sissy Nobby, and I can only hope that our film does for others what Paris is Burning did for me. And I definitely will see that. Yeah. Um, Zebra Cats, uh, who's, that's his performing name. He goes, his real name is OJ Morgan. Um, And he's not in our family? (laughs) With a name like Zebra? Yeah. Well, he said, cats. He said, um, when I moved to New York City, I started learning more about ball culture and the balls on YouTube. So that's where I started learning about the present. And then a friend of mine sat me down to finally see Paris is Burning in 2005. And it was incredible. It sheds a light on a community that is really paid homage to. Ball world culture inspires me. The sound inspires me. I'm a dancer. So the moves inspire me. There's so much to be inspired by in Paris is Burning and the culture itself. They go hand in hand. The movie sheds a little bit of light. And if you care to further your research and interest, you'll find it. The community's there. It's been there. It's always been there. And then um, Shannon Funches, Funches, Funches. He's part of Light Asylum. Said the reality of disparity and rawness of living the American dream in the movie really spoke to me as a young, gifted, gay, black female youth. To live this American dream, one usually makes sacrifices. The mothers of the house, the balls, the real drama of living the life, the forming a gay family, the AIDS epidemic, all that was exposed to the public and Paris is burning if you watched it and paid attention or cared. The dancing and sense of working together as a community was essential. Everyone seeks a sense of belonging, no matter how dysfunctional the group or community. Yes. So, I don't know. I just thought it really um, highlighted how much this film like i watch it and i just you know it's fun it's interesting like it fascinates me but these people watch it and are like oh like that's me and like yes i can do this if this like this is there other people like me are out there exactly yeah they're like wait what yeah like me discovering a few months ago that karen carpenter was an amazing drummer i'm like what (laughs) this existed i so i've feel like like that's probably how they feel uh my mvp is dorian Corey because of that quote when i heard it i was just like you know that's the thing about art is that you have these feelings and these things and these expressions and then other people put it into words they put it into music or visual forms and you're like yes that's it and i'm like like dorian Corey basically uh, came up with my, with something that I am so grateful that I I that came to me somehow I don't know how when I was very young, but her whole philosophy and it's you know it's that quote that you have about like you don't have to bend the whole world it's easy it's I think it's better to just enjoy it pay your dues and enjoy it if you shoot your arrow and it goes real high hooray for you yeah 
Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like we make things so complicated, but it's yeah. just like, yeah, like when you're young, yeah, have those aspirations and stuff, but don't get hardened because the world didn't bend to you. Like at right. some point you're just like, I'm on a wave. That's why I like the ocean. It's just like, all right, you just got to let it go and go with it. And yeah. that quote just nails it. Yeah. And it's okay as you get older to aim a little lower. Yeah, it's just, it's just enjoying. It's just, I don't even know, like, yeah, aiming lower, but it's more of just this taking in information and just being like, oh, look at all of these people who are so unhappy, mm-hmm. who are just miserable. And you look at it and it's like, ah, oh, there's a lot of rich people. So obviously money doesn't. Money is not the answer. With happiness. And, yeah. you just, and you just, as you get older, if hopefully, you know, you can just make these check marks off and notice things. And it's like, ah, you know, you don't have to be like for me, a middle class, lower middle class life. That's all I need. I got Find your community. Yeah. yeah. Be, like, like and then you need to survive and it's and it isn't uh like just being aware of it and it's like oh that's that idea of success whose idea of success is it mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a european paler version of success you know the the idea of beauty of straightening your hair and once you kind of are like oh that well but that's what that is you shed all that bullshit and you can be so much more happy you just enjoy it. Hooray for you. And hooray for people who are brought into our circle, like our precious teeny, whose birthday is today. Aha, cheers to that. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Raise a glass to teeny. <laughs> She's drinking. We're to recasting, time. which um, I did no I recasting, because why would yeah. I? A documentary not for a documentary right so we are just, to taste- just make more just make more make more i like somebody within the ball culture make a documentary you know they yes. can get different perspectives and stuff keep them coming tell different stories yes because the more the more people see it the more it becomes mainstream mm-hmm. tell trans lives of color stories you, so that we have that human humanizing effect. Yes. Yes. So we are two tasty nuggets. Okay. Well, I have a couple. I got a couple as well. But only well, a I'm, couple. I'm going to let birthday girl go first. Oh, okay. Well, I do have something on Dorian Corey. So Dorian Corey... Um, I believe went to Parsons School of Design, I believe. Yes, I mentioned that in the mm-hmm. uh, particulars. Yes. Very, very mm, uh, upper echelon school of design. Donna Karen. Because that's um wait, what is the um the reality show about designers that go to Parsons and they get to use their workshop or something? Oh fashion runway? Runway? Uh, yeah, runway. Project Project Runway. runway. Look at the three of us teamwork. Um, Okay, so 
So Dorian was born in Buffalo, New York. Uh, and then in the 1950s, worked as a window dresser at Hangers. Never heard of that. And then moved to New York City to go to Parsons. Toured as a snake dancer in the 1960s, which sounds oh pretty God. cool. A cabaret oh drag act. No, you are the snake dancer. Yeah, um, boa constrictors. I don't know. For some reason, like, I can see somebody handling a boa constrictor and not freak out. Yeah. If you know it's been well fed. So, and it's on a television screen. <laughs> no, she, still no. Um, she was the founder of the House of Corey, holding over 50 grand prizes from the voguing balls. And she was also house mother to Angie Extravaganza, who later became her own mother, or a, a mother of her own house. Um, she also ran and designed a clothing label called Corey Design. And at one point, her act involved her wearing a 30 by 40 foot feather cape. Um, once she shut her costume that. down to a sequin body stocking, two attendants, two attendants raised the cape up on poles to produce a feathered tent that covered half of the audience. Oh wow. my God. And that was when they made their own stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like she was like, yeah. design. I mean, Donna yeah. Karen, Zach Merzarahi, Mark Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, I'll get to that in my next Stacey Nugget, but she died um august 29th 1993 due to complications of aids Mm. at the age of 56. this is when she gets interesting more interesting she's also the drag queen who had a mummy in her closet yeah ma did you know this no oh get ready yeah so after she died um her friend, a fellow drag queen, Lois Taylor, began selling her costumes. And she was going through a closet in her apartment on 140th Street in Manhattan. And she found a suitcase that she couldn't lift. So she cut it open and a horrible, she said, a horrible stink came out of the dusty fabric bag. Oh, God. That's when we called the police because, honey, I wasn't chancing it. <laughs> and yeah, I wasn't chancing <laughs> <laughs> Um... There's a partially mummified body was found in the bag. Investigators determined the badly decomposed corpse was that of Robert Worley, who was last seen in 1968. Um, And they wrote clues found with the body, vintage beer cans, suggested that he had been dead for at least 15 years. The pop top kind. Like, oh, oh the tabs. That? Yeah, yeah. She, she she knew she's of the age where she would know that. Yeah. But no one who had socialized or lived with Corey during that time had ever recalled her mentioning Worley, let alone confessing to kill him. Some some of Corey's fellow drag queens speculated she had shot Worley during a failed robbery. However, a reporter for New York magazine was able to dig up some clues to their relationship. Worley's brother, Fred, claimed that Bobby had called him all drunk and rambled extensively to someone named Dorian, having apparently fought with her. Lois Taylor also told the reporter that Corey had written a short story about a transgender woman who killed her lover in revenge after he pressured her to have a sex change. However, without any kind of firsthand testimony from either Corey or Worley, it seems the mystery of how he died and ended up in her closet will never be solved. Um, There's... Richard Mailman wrote a play called Dorian's Closet. Um, 
And he thinks that disposing of the body would have been too conspicuous and congested Manhattan. So Corey covered it in baking soda, wrapped it tightly to neutralize the inevitable odor. Um, yeah, but basically they kind of think they did a pose episode about it. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I think it's the season two. Um, but basically they don't think that she did it. Like she was, they think it was just like a crime of passion right, and right, it's right. like, Oh shit. Now I have a dead body. So who knows? Maybe this guy was trying to rob her. Maybe he was abusing her like, mm-hmm. or maybe st- she just killed him. But we'll she know. knew how to minimize that odor mm-hmm. so that a neighbors well, weren't complaining and the police didn't arrive. She, Ma, she knew how, like, she For made 15 a years it was there. Yeah, but she made a cape, turned it into a tent. Like, this was a woman, she was 56 in 1993, a transgender woman born in Buffalo. This woman is a survivalist. Like, she figures shit out without Google. She was just maybe one of the smartest people. Just maybe a genius level of just knowing how to just survive. Yeah. Also, because there was a... This, this was covered in My Favorite Murder, episode 269 mm-hmm. from April. Also, she moved apartments. So it's unclear if... Oh, yeah. If uh, she was hiding this body for somebody else, or if she moved oh. the body, like yeah, there's like there's so much going on to it that that's why she just dropped. That's why she's sitting there in this movie behind her sewing machine, dropping dimes, just yeah. dropping wisdom putting- of a woman who is seen. She knows during the filming of that that she has a dead body in her closet. Yes. Putting more makeup on top of more makeup as she is. Oh, wow. Because I was 41 in 1993, and I would have no idea how to dispose of a body so that it wouldn't smell. Yeah. And we were were living in this house at that time, 1993. No, we weren't. Oh, 1993. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when this movie came out, no, we were in Germany. I don't remember hearing yeah. a word about this movie. No, we wouldn't have on a military base. No, AFN was not promoting the new documentary, Paris no. is Burning. Nor was Guest House. <laughs> yeah, that was just not on the radar. Um, my other one... Okay, so we both were we were wondering about the two boys, the 13-year-old and 15-year-old boys yes. in the movie in the beginning where they were talking to them. Um, I couldn't find anything about the older boy, but the 13-year-old boy in the blue. They're good-looking, but really cute. <laughs> so I don't know where this, if this came from YouTube, but I saw it a couple places. But in 2013... The clip with the two kids is posted, and it's called mm-hmm. Paris is Burning, the Two Kids. And it said, the two boys from Paris is Burning, anyone know their names or what happened to them? And Justice Jones commented and said, I'm the kid in blue. I'm very much alive. I never joined a house by choice, but if I had a choice, I'd choose the extravaganza. Angie and I were very close. She was there for me many nights. I never became a drag queen, and yes, I did get adopted. Um, my, for so long, uh, the streets are quiet, but for one minute, 
if you don't die in that time, I'm not sure. Sorry. For so long, I have been a face without a name. My first real name is Anthony. My friends call me Justice. Maybe one day before I kick the buckets, the extravaganzas will make me an honorary child of that house. If this movie helped at least one person, then it was worth it. Jenny Livingston did her thing. Thanks to everyone who kept me alive and thought in prayer. Um, so I thought that, yeah. Uh, happy ending. Yep. There's one happy ending. Yep. Yeah. Because when I was well, watching that, I was like, right. oh. he's alive. Yeah. I was, I like, was oh. too. 13 year old at one o'clock at night. In, but yeah. they're not in the doing 80s, New York. I mean, yeah. But like they're at a ball, you know? It's not like they're out doing drugs somewhere or. No. Exactly. But it is unsafe to be like, yeah. They yeah, could have been I murdered was... for being a gay 13-year-old exactly. boy in New York City. That exactly. was it. Like, he, um, was he was safe. It was every time outside of that that I worried. And you couldn't call an Uber to take you home. Yeah. Uh, it's called Paris is Burning after the annual Paris is Burning Ball, which is held by Paris Dupree. Yes, I have that as well. And then... My other tasty nugget was just um, about the like fashion, like drag queen fashion. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, you know how the Met Gala does like a theme every year? Yes, yes. yes. And they did camp as mm-hmm. the theme. Um, which I don't think people knew. Like some people, I guess, didn't know that drag queens came up with that. So um, mm-hmm. Lena Waithe wore a tuxedo or suit and on the back of it it just says black Qu- black drag queens invented camp um <laughs> oh outstanding mm-hmm. very to the point yep and yeah. because like harry styles just showed off his nipples and i don't know yeah. um but it just furthers the queer people usually a lot of the time queer people of color at the heart of many cultural twin trends and then celebrities pick it up and it's cultural appropriation mm-hmm. yes you know yeah um but so this is from the tempest and they also uh so it's especially ironic given that dragon can't begin as a form of resistance um many gay and gender queer people who would otherwise be homeless relied on drag ball culture and competitions for income and housing and just one decade before Paris is burning is set, New York police heavily enforced anti-cross-dressing laws. These laws were heavily mm-hmm. used to persecute the LGBTQ community as wearing more than three pieces of the opposite gender's clothing could lead to arrest. It's a yeah. revolutionary and often violent act to get to the point where drag queens weren't criminalized for simply putting on a dress. Fast forward to 2019, and we've got the Met Gala, um... But that's and, like, wait, sorry, the the cross-dressing thing, that is very pointed to, to in my mind, of uh, penalizing um, men who are wearing women, you know, women's clothes, like that yeah. way. I, what I'm trying to say is that I could probably, like, how many of those were, oh, you're wearing pants, you're wearing a t-shirt. Right. Like when and it that goes wasn't the happening. other direction, when right. is that? Right. Like, oh, like, oh, you're a woman in a tuxedo. But well, this that's exactly what this says. Like, do glitter and lipstick make a woman? Do suits and tie make a man? Why can't yeah. Harry why can Harry Styles show his nipples when women still can't breastfeed right. in public? Right. Or Harry Styles in a lace collar with pearls. 
you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's cool now, but or just wearing a yeah. dress, just Terry so, the dress, right? So obviously, this goes on to say, like, we're blessed to live in a time where gendered fashion is contested in the mainstream, um, but we have to take care to always center queer people, their history, and their sacrifices. Mm-hmm. After all, fashion is political. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. There was a there was something on Facebook, which I know Aaron is not a part of, but there was a student who was expelled because he wore a skirt to school. And there were three different teachers at that high school who the next day wore a skirt to school. That's cool. And yeah. yeah. And kilt what are kilts? Yeah. They're, exactly. They're Scottish. Exactly. You know? But it has to be plaid and be yeah. Like, it's all just like when you look at it, it's all bullshit. And when you get down to it, it's usually bullshit and with like misogyny. It's usually oh, yeah. like bullshit with color or bullshit with misogyny. You're like, oh, yeah. damn. Or we go into the whole American beauty thing where it's the people who want to live that life but aren't able to live that life who are throwing the shade on the people living the life. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the people, it's that which you recognize in yourself that you don't like, that you often then, um, attack people. I think that's the case with what happened in Pulse, like to bring it right around, you know, this, this guy had these feelings and he didn't know what to do with them. And because of the way that society has set it up, then he was like, well, I'm going to go out and do this bullshit. Semi-automatic machine gun, and I will go out and deal with this. He's a hurt person, hurt people, hurt people. And, yeah, there you have it. So, like, all this bullshit, this normalizing stuff, all the cast, every time, like, it all comes back to you think that it only hurts the people that you want it to hurt, but it ends up hurting everyone. You know? So... Um, Your tasty nuggets, Aaron. In this received funding from the National Endowment of the Arts, and it was under fire. And so, at that time, because of you know nerd alerts, remember the National Endowment of the Arts was under fire um, because of Robert Maplethorpe and also Andreas Soriano. Uh, Serrano. Uh, um, so Jesse or sorry the director's name Livingston she didn't yeah Jenny she didn't release many details of the production outside of a close circle of producers because she knew that if it got out there that you know what the film was about the people Mm -hmm. would you know these like CCB boycott I remember it was also like um I mean, wasn't water the watermelon woman? Wasn't that like in '96, and that also had mm-hmm. a thing with the National uh-huh. Endowment of the Arts? So yes, that's that was an ongoing thing. Um, in 2016, it was added to the film archive of the Library of Congress. It in 1991, it was one of the best films according to the LA Times, Time Magazine, the Washington Post, NPR, and New York Magazine. And in 2017, New York Times film critic Wesley Morris, who is a fantastic film critic and 
he just I like his I like how what he has to say about films. I always find it very interesting. So if you ever for, can read Wesley Morris or hear him on podcasts and stuff, I think he he has very cool insights on stuff. He wrote in a Times special pullout um, children section. It was called Twelve Films to See Before You Turn Thirteen. He wrote of this. He put this on the list. Jenny Livingston spent years observing competing enclaves of drag queens. Seeing her documentary as soon as possible means you can spend the rest of your life. Oh, fuck. I know. <laughs> it gets to you, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? What the fuck was the worst in humanity? Um, as soon as possible. Means you can spend the rest of your life having a sense of humanity, amuse, surprise, and devastate you over and over. Yeah. Which, yeah, as soon as you, like, get that light turned on of mm -hmm. experiencing the world outside of your own lens, the better off you are and humanity is. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And that is Paris is Burning. So next week, dun, dun, dun. we are doing a film from 1992. Uh-oh. We're stuck in the it, 90s. It is uh, one hour and 52 minutes. All right, all right. Right in my threshold. And 47, uh, uh, 94%. See that? See that dyslexia? That was dyslexia right there, people. That's that's a, that's a real yeah, thing. Yeah, you turned 94 into 47. It's actually 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. 1992. Well, now, wait a second, because this is when we moved back to the United States of America. Oh, it is, yes. How long is it? Your puppy actually referenced this film one time during our New York vacay. 1992, an hour and 52 minutes. He referenced, referenced this. 92. Is it Malcolm X? It is not. I was like, because that's a two-hour film. <laughs> we, we do have the primary character is not a transgender woman, but a transgender woman is a prominent part in this movie. Let's stop as, no. as far as I remember, it is not Mrs. Doubtfire. Wait, is is this a movie that I know the ending to, but I've never actually seen it? Probably. And it has a song, and it is the game that you and I have been playing this podcast? Is it a game? I guess it's not. It is. It's, it it's is. The something game. Mm -hmm. The crying game. It is the crying game. <laughs> I've never seen this movie, but I know so much about it, which is going to be 1992's The Crying Game. And I will not say a thing about it. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I just remember being really moved by it. So that is I just remember week's... it being spoiled. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Just mainstream media, and I was too young to see it. It, yeah, that's too bad. Christine, you've never heard of it, right? Never heard of it. Excellent. So watch it through. 
Well, this week's Paris is Burning. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our podcast. Next week's The Crying Game. And there you go. Bye. Bye. Bye.